Welcome to The Leadership Project. This is Charles Smith. And today we're going to be talking about six questions that every organization, every team, teams like yours and teams like mine, should be asking in the pursuit of organizational health. I'm in the studio today with Dave Wright, Director of Communications and Brand Strategy at Midwestern Seminary, and I've invited him to come in and talk with us because I think he's one of the most strategic thinkers and has lived uh, this life with me and has asked these questions with me here at Midwestern Seminary uh, for a while, and so I think you'll have some helpful feedback. But Dave, with that, welcome to the studio. How you doing? Hey, I'm good, Charles. Thanks for having me. What are uh, Before we get into those questions, man, what are you learning as a leader lately? What's What's been going on? Um, wow. I mean, things are going well. Um, and yeah, I'm learning a lot about leadership. I think there's never an end point. You're always learning, always growing, always stretching yourself. So, I mean, I could, mm. there could be a separate podcast talking about all the things that, sure. that you learn. So, but yeah, things are good. Yeah. One of the things that's really impressed me about you over the years is, I mean, you've really been hungry for growing as a leader, especially over the past three or four years. I mean, you, you've been burning through scripture, leadership books, podcasts, uh, just trying to work towards becoming a, a, a stronger leader. I mean, wh- where's that coming from? Uh, what are you sensing through some of those things? What have been some of the hardest uh, lessons you've had to learn over the last couple of years? Sure. Yeah, I think um, really I've had a desire and uh, really not known it or for most of my life of kind of leaning toward leadership, being yeah. a leader. Um, I've, I've always run from it because my personality, I'm an introvert. I am um, mm. on the Enneagram scale. I'm a nine, which means I hate conflict. I want peace and I strive sure. for that. And, and I love for everybody to get along. So a lot of times growing up, seeing leaders or thinking about what leadership is, and I was thinking it was something that I was just not made for, mm. but I always felt that that urge on the inside that I always just want to make a difference. I want to use my gifts to to make a difference. And so really in the last few years, what I've discovered is that God has uniquely made me with gifts that I can use mm. to be a strong leader. Yeah. And um, so that discovery has kind of changed everything for me Yeah. that uh, because I'm you know, more quiet and reserved or what, whatnot. It doesn't mean that I can't be a strong, a strong leader. That's right. And, and I, I feel like recognizing that has kind of changed, you know, uh, my perspective. And with that, then yes, there's just been a hunger of, okay, what is, what is leadership? What does that mean? And then being in the position here at Midwestern for the, you know, the past five years, and just with the nature of kind of where we're headed as an institution, things we're trying to accomplish, and I've just been thrown in into the fire, and yeah. w- which is which has been great, and it's been challenging. Uh, but, but wow, the things that that I'm learning uh, about leadership and and how God has created me and kind of living into that yeah. and experiencing that has been been a joy. Yeah, you know, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. When when you and I did our first interview, I remember one of the things that stood out to me, and I knew this wasn't true, but you thought it was true, and you said, "Look, I'm not a leader guy." Uh, I, I can help manage the team and those sort of things, but I, I'm, I'm not kind of this out front leader guy and I, I'm not sure that's me. And I, I wasn't calling you to that, but it was always interesting to me that, man, you brought that up and you wanted to make sure that was on the table. 
And yet to hear you talk today, I mean, clearly over the last six years, there's been a metamorphosis where I don't think today you'd say I'm this big out front leadership guy, but I think you've redefined uh, what it looks like just to lead. And that's probably what we're trying to do in this podcast is show people, hey, leadership's not reserved for Mr. Charismatic or Mrs. Charismatic or Mr. Lots of Twitter followers. A leader is actually the task of every Christian. We're all called to take initiative for the glory of God and the good of others. So we're where did that switch for you? Like what, if you don't mind sharing, like what happened? Was that a process or um, just a moment or, or what switched? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think there were several moments in, in time, really the last six years, as I said, kind of being thrown in the fire of, of you know, growth, seeking growth here at Midwestern and the things that we we're trying to accomplish, particularly with, you know, a lot of the things we're trying to do were kind of coming through communications. And so just by nature, I was learning on, on the ground. And so there was just things that I was I was picking up from from you and, and Dr. Allen as well as a strong leader. And so I was just learning by osmosis almost. Mm. And then uh, really there was a, a moment uh, maybe a couple of years ago we had um, we were going through kind of the Enneagrams. And again, I try not to, to put too much into that, but sure. there is some significance and some some insight that you can gain from it. Yeah, to any personality test. Yeah, and, and it was for me in particular. And so it comes mm-hmm. back, I mentioned here just, a, just a little bit ago that I am an, an Enneagram 9, which is a peacemaker, love you know, uh, things for, for everyone to be happy and at peace and, and going well. And, and as I said prior to that, I'm like, I can't be a good leader because yeah. I'm not loud and boisterous and big and, sure. you know, all this. Well, in that moment and when we were meeting with some, some uh, leadership folks uh, going through the Enneagram with us as a team, and there was just a, a light switch that came mm-hmm. on. It was almost I was given the okay to be who I am and that you yeah. can be a leader. And yep. so I can point back to that, to that moment that it was just really a light switch that came on mm-hmm. in my in my heart that says oh god made me this way it's not a bad thing it's a good thing and he can actually use me to uh, to serve others and to impact others and to help others be successful and uh, and that's what i've tried to to do since and i i love that and obviously i was in the room for that at the time those of you that that are curious we had rich plass come out he's written a book called the relational soul and uh, he uses uses a lot of personality tests uh, t- to help teams just understand team dynamics and their unique gifts. And, and uh, man, I got to be in the room and experience some of that with you and see some of the light bulbs going off and, um, and have benefited from and countless people have benefited from, even though they don't even know it, that conversation uh, and Rich Plass's ministry and, and ultimately what I've seen the Lord do in your life. So that's really cool. One of the things to getting back to the six questions in that conversation that I've seen you pursue uh, and grow in and work towards over the years is just a healthy team. Uh, you know, when you think about our division and our division, um, eight years ago, there were kind of five people in it today, full-time and part-time people. There's about 60 people. And so it's, it's really grown over the past eight years. And so we've had to work really, really intentionally towards just building a healthy team, a team where we have clarity in mission, clarity in focus, clarity in culture, 
um, and and we know why we do what we do and all those sorts of things. And one of the things that has helped us do that, maybe the most important thing in helping us do that, has been a book by Patrick Lencioni called The Advantage, uh, Why Organizational Health Trumps Everything Else in Business. Again, that's Patrick Lencioni, The Advantage, Why Organizational Health Trumps Everything Else in Business. Uh, Lencioni's reputation precedes him. I, I don't need to, to unpack who he is. Uh, you can look that up on your own, but but uh, suffice it to say, Lencioni is a leading name in leadership. And this book is essentially, um, I would say, one of his crowning accomplishments where he's taken a lot of his other books and condensed those principles into one unified uh, thesis. And his thesis is the most important thing that leaders can do, those that are leading teams and organizations can do is to pursue organizational health. You know, Dave, when when you and I think about the school, it's really easy to think about things like efficiency and effectiveness and budgets and marketing and, uh, you know, recruiting and student life and all these things. And of course, those are all really, really important things. But if we build those things, if we work towards those things on top of a weak foundation organizationally, a foundation that that doesn't possess integrity, uh, clarity of mission, then really we're wasting our time. And would you agree with that? Absolutely. I would agree with that. And um, just the, the nature of that analogy of building a house. I mean, any anyone who's wise will not build a house on a solid foundation because it doesn't matter how pretty the house looks in time, the foundation is going to crumble sure. and the house is going to fall. It doesn't sure. matter how pretty it looks, how efficient it looks. The foundation has to be there. Sure. And uh, so I completely agree with that. Yeah. Well, what I've noticed in reading this book is, um, man, working towards organizational health is not complicated, uh, but it does take consistent follow through. Like it's not something that just emerges overnight. You don't come up with a cool vision and next week your team's healthy. Uh, really, working towards organizational health is a is a long walk in the same direction, so to speak. It's man, stopping long enough. Uh, to ask really intentional questions. And what Lencioni is going to tell us here in a minute is that there are six that we should all be asking, that we should ask of our marriages, we should ask of our teams. Any Anytime where people are working together, there ought to be a shared understanding, a mutual language for why we're together in the first place. Why are we in this family? Why are we in this marriage? Why are we in uh, or on this team and, and, and so forth? So I want to work towards that. But what, what Lencioni so helpfully does in this book is he says there's three reasons why um, even though this is something that's actually kind of easy to do, there's nothing complicated about these six questions. The vast majority of leaders don't do this. The vast majority of leaders don't do this. And he says it's for at least three reasons. So I want to talk about those really quickly. And I want you, as you hear this, ask yourself, and it's the reason I haven't asked these six questions, the reason I'm not intentionally working towards organizational health, uh, maybe you find yourself in one of these three things. So Lencioni says the first reason leaders like me and you uh, often are reluctant to be intentional about building organizational health is what he calls the sophistication bias. Dave, talk about that for a minute. Well, sometimes we think that we, we the most important thing is yeah, pursuing uh, you know efficiency, getting straight to marketing strategy, branding strategy. Uh, long-term financial goals, you think immediately you have to get get to that. That's the most important sure. thing. Like uh, the 
vision values they're they're kind of beneath us we don't need to hit that you know that's you know okay whatever that's great let's man let's just get at it and so we think sure. we're you know too sophisticated yeah it's too simple right yeah why, simple. why sit around and talk about uh, having strong healthy relationships with your, your co-workers no we're, we're about the mission and of course we're about the mission right. but he says under, under the sophistication bias he says uh, organizational health is so simple as we've mentioned and accessible that many leaders have a hard time seeing it as a real opportunity for meaningful advantage after all it doesn't require great intelligence or sophistication just uncommon levels back to the long walk in the same direction uncommon levels of discipline courage persistence and common sense in an age where we have come to believe that differentiation and dramatic improvement can be found only in complexity it's hard for well-educated executives and i would add pastors with phds and demons and lots of hours on their transcript to embrace something that's so simple and straightforward so, man, we're, we're too sophisticated to pursue these simple things. doesn't matter. Let's get after it. The second thing about getting after it here is the adrenaline bias. Dave, what's the adrenaline bias? And I think I mentioned that, uh, you know, just a second ago, that adrenaline bias is, man, we're just so uh, uh, swelling up with energy of, hey, man, we've got to got to do this next thing. Here's this trend. we got to go chase after this. It's just busyness. Busy, busy. You get caught in the whirlwind of of just activity and uh, uh and so you you're just driven by your adrenaline adrenaline to accomplish to pursue to do to do to do and sometimes you just need to stop and assess who you are yeah he says uh, he says on page three of the book i've worked with a number of executives in fact most of them suffer from a chronic case of adrenaline addiction and think of your own life whether you're a stay-at-home mom uh, an executive, a pastor, your ministry leader in some other context, you work at a seminary. Man, do you have an adrenaline addiction uh, that you're just constantly needing to be busy and needed? And he says, seemingly, we're hooked on a daily rush of activity and firefighting within our organizations. It says, though we're afraid to slow down and deal with issues that are critical but don't seem urgent. As simple as this may seem, it remains a serious obstacle for many organizations. Man. So the sophistication bias, hey, we're, we're too sophisticated. Our organization is too complex to worry about these simple cultural things. Who cares? The adrenaline bias, hey, maybe they're important, but we are, we are marching forward far too fast to really slow down and ask profound questions about our organization and why we exist. But third, and, and man, I really sympathize with this, is the quantification bias. The quantification bias. So Dave, you and I live in a world where we, we are constantly looking at spreadsheets, talking about accountability, we're testing things. Hey, does this work? How many people came to this event? Yada, yada, yada. So we, we swim in a world of accountability and data, right. quantification. And yet organizational health is kind of different. Talk about that for a second. Sure. I mean, you, you chase after data, one, because it's easy to measure. And and I think we pursue that and because we can it's easy to, you know, be held accountable for. You kind of know what you're what you're doing. You can look at it as black and white. It's it's objective. Your data is objective. You you put forth some sort of activity and you measure it and you can see if it was good or bad. Well, culture 
chasing after a culture is completely different. It's subjective. You, it's hard to measure. Sure. I mean, you can measure it, but it's harder to measure. And so sometimes we don't pursue it because we just don't, we don't know, am I, am I doing it right? Or do we have a healthy culture? Sure. And so sometimes we, we, we stick with pursuing things that are easy to measure and sure. quickly to, you know, make decisions, but culture and building a healthy organization, sure. it, it's more subjective. You know, and I think it's it's funny to me, and it's it's illogical in a way because when you think about business and organizational life, the biggest, most meaningful decisions they often take a long time to ferret out. Like, you know, you think about the most um, strategic things we've done just in our context over the last few years. It's not overnight that you go, "Wow, look at that! It clearly worked." Oftentimes, it takes months, if not years. I mean, some of the what I think are the, the most strategic things we've done, eight years in, I still have a little bit of a question mark of, will this thing work out? And yet we're committed to that. But it, there's something about the relational, the theoretical, um, cultural side of organizational health that that we think, well, oh, we can't measure that. Well, of course you can. What's the turnover at your church like? You know, do you, do you have staff members that stay for six months and leave or two months and leave? Or do people tend to stick around? Well, that, that's a really good indicator of organizational health. Um, you know, things like that, they, they absolutely can be measured and they should be measured. Uh, but oftentimes we just think they can't. And so we don't want to engage these things at all. So again, right. there's the sophistication bias, man. We're too sophisticated, the adrenaline bias. We're far too busy. Um, and, and, and then when you think about the adrenaline bias in ministry, I mean, after all, Dave, we, we are working unto eternal things. Right. right. When we look to scripture, we go, I mean, there are literally people dying outside that don't know Jesus, that are going to go to uh, an eternity of punishment. And you want me to slow down and talk about vision and values and culture and all those sorts of things. I mean, so I totally get that sentiment. I 100% get that. But he mentions in the book, that oftentimes you have to slow the race car down for it to go faster. And I think that's true organizationally, that people that don't build the house or slow the race car down uh, to go faster or build it with integrity, you may go faster immediately, uh, but in time, the thing will fall apart. And it's because there wasn't a proper foundation. Um, and, you know, with a small team, uh, you can bootstrap and kind of make things work. But as your team gets bigger, as your ministry gets more significant, it will become more and more and more apparent that you built upon a shaky foundation. And so how do you establish a, a, a firm foundation? I think you answer six questions that we're about to talk about. I think you have to answer these questions. They're not profound, but what we hope to do uh, over the next few minutes is walk through these questions with you and, and share with you how we think about them at Midwestern Seminary within our division. Uh, and just to give you a little context, the seminary here, we, we have roughly 4,000 students. We have a staff of uh, about 300 people on the team, and we're a division within that. We're one of the smaller divisions. We have three uh, divisions, and ours has about 60 employees. Um, and we exist to recruit and retain students, donors, and friends. So we're marketing, holding events, networking, uh, doing discipleship with student life, thinking about fundraising, uh, all those sorts of things and enjoy doing it. And so together as a division, we have asked these six questions and we're gonna walk through those with you. But what I hope is us um, 
kind of illustrating this with our example here will help you think about your own context. How would I answer that with our team, with our family, with our church, with our, our organization? So six questions, Patrick Lencioni, the advantage. And the first question, Dave, is why do we exist? Dave, why do we exist at Midwestern Seminary? At Midwestern, we exist to train pastors, ministers, and evangelists for the church. For the church. For the if church. you know anything about Midwestern Seminary, we exist for, for the, the church. church. That's right. That's right. And so for us, when, when we ask the question, why do we exist? This is kind of the most lofty question that we're gonna we're gonna ask. And you'll notice as we progress through these questions, they're gonna get more and more specific more and more granular, more and more practical. So we're going to end talking about what each staff member is responsible for. But before we can talk about that, we have to build this foundation of just, and what is this all about to begin with? So if you're in a local church, why do we exist? You may, and in fact, you ought to, I believe, look to scripture and go, man, in scripture, we see that the church exists to, uh, the church globally exists to be and make disciples, to be on mission with Christ, to follow him in faith. And, and so that's the role of the church. And, and so that's maybe how you would answer that. And it would probably look a little different in your local context. And, um, you may want to include that, but this first question is, where are we going? Why do we exist? The second question is Dave, what do we do? So how do we answer that on we are on our team? What do we do? Sure. And you, you mentioned it earlier, but as, um, as a division, uh, we exist to support the vision of the institution by recruiting and uh, retaining students, donors, and friends. We exist to recruit, retain students, donors, and friends. Yeah. So that's really simple. And yet took us probably hours and hours and hours to come up with that sentence. So when you think about it, what are six people, $3 million and thousands of hours during the year going to be about? And it's really complicated to put that in a sentence often, uh, especially a meaningful sentence. And so we've said, hey, we exist to to go out and get to recruit and retain to maintain three different groups of people, students. Hey, we, we want to identify potential students. We want to encourage them to become students. We want to take care of them, help disciple them while they're here, and then see them become happy alumni. Uh, and then we want to do the same thing with donors and even ministry partners, people that appreciate what we're doing and we can come alongside and support. Um, so that's what we do, our division. So we're answering these questions as a division, not a school. So under the reality of existing for the church, we're saying our division exists to recruit and retain students, donors, and friends. So I wonder how you would answer that second question. What do you do? So the first question is, why do we exist? The second question is, what do we do? And then the third question is kind of about culture and values, about how you want to be as an organization. And that question is, how do we behave? How do we behave? Dave, how do we behave? Well, how do we behave is, is um, it is the source of, of what we choose to do and, and what we see that kind of guides us, kind of guide rails, guard rails, are our values. What, uh, what we think is important as a team, the culture that we're trying to build, it kind of gives us something to stand on and, and, and how we make decisions, uh, all those sorts of things. These, these values, these behaviors, as I said, 
kind of guide us along that way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to give you some examples. So how do we behave? We, we say we're hungry. That's about ambition, properly channeled Christian ambition. That, man, we want to be folks that are driven towards the things of God. We say that we want people on our team to be humble. That if we're going to have a team that looks Christ-like, I believe we're both going to be driven towards mission and obedience, but we're also going to be driven towards humility. And and those two uh, realities aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, in fact, I think they ought to both exist within healthy Christians and uh, and help shape who we are as a team. Third, we say that we want to behave as people that are smart. And what we mean by that is not that you you have to have a certain IQ. It's really more of an EQ thing. We, we want people that naturally get what we're doing, uh, naturally understand the, the needs of others and relationships and um, are happy to exist within a team and do so fairly naturally, um, that they're not constantly working against the grain of teamwork and things like that. Um, so they're people that, that just see people and get it. And so that, that's kind of smart. And we, we elaborate more in our document on this. Uh, and then finally, it's happy, which sounds really plastic. Um, but we are kind of doing that intentionally because we know as Christians, we're, we're actually not called to happiness. We're called to joy. But as people that are kind of in a customer service world, people that want to love other people well, we're actually paid to be happy in a way. So we hope we're joyful, but we're also paid as, man, we're interacting with students and donors and friends like, you need to be happy. Uh, you, you need to uh, express the joy of the Lord with, with those people and serve them. And so oftentimes it's doing that when you don't feel like it. That's kind of part of adulting, right? Is, man, we, we pray for joy, but we're, we're going to expect happiness right. on the team. And uh, obviously part of that is, is joy. And part of that is um, hoping to see flexibility and things like that on our team. But so that's how we answer question three. How do we behave? We say, man, we want to cultivate a team. We want to hire people and expect people that are hungry, humble, smart, and happy. Okay, so there's a fourth question here, but before we get to it, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump back in the fourth question and uh, be back with you momentarily. Welcome back to the Leadership Project podcast. I'm in the studio here with Dave Wright, Director of Communications and Brand Strategy at Midwestern Seminary. And if you've been listening, we've been talking about six questions that every team, every organization, every leader should be asking of the work they're, they're doing. And so these questions are, why do we exist? What do we do? How do we behave? How will we succeed? what is most important right now, and who must do what. And so we've already talked about the first uh, three. Why do we exist? What do we do? And how do we behave? And and now we're going to go to part four, which is how will we succeed? And Dave, for me, we're going to talk about this at the end, but for me, I think this may be the most important question. How will we succeed? And if if you've been listening, you know, as we ask these questions, they're, they're getting progressively more uh, practical, more hands-on. So we're moving from vision and values and mission and kind of really big picture stuff down to, okay, what's the strategy? What's this? What are we doing? And um, 
even though these playbooks are annual plans, typically the how will we succeed section, this this uh, fourth question is kind of a two to three year what I would call a seasonal strategy. Hey, in the season we're in, we're going to be pursuing these things. So, man, do you see it that way? Has that been helpful to you to think about it in that framework? I think so. Uh, this this section here of, of how you will succeed, how we will succeed, I mean, it does, it gives you, sh- you strategies that are kind of, you know, on top of more specific objectives that you're going to know to shoot for in in a year so i definitely see and and it has been for us in our context here that these are kind of carrying the weight over a period of time as you said a season sure and i think that's super helpful because they're they're kind of the main lanes of strategy that we're walking that's a great illustration yeah yeah okay yeah for me I think even though this is, it's like a lot of things in life, it's the most effective, most helpful thing. And it's also the most difficult. I can imagine even as people are listening to this, they're, they're having a hard time grasping. Okay. It's, it's not quite a goal. It's not quite a value. It's kind of in between those things. It's a way of acting and operating that we have found, uh, helps us. Okay. And so we're not going to give away any of the secret sauce here within our division. And there is no secret sauce, by the way. But I want to share some of these things with you. And this is from an old playbook. But I want to share some of the examples we have that help you get a feel for what you ought to be thinking about on your own team. So for us, we answer question four, which is how will we succeed? We state this in our playbook. We will remain competitive. That's our division here at Midwestern Seminary by number one, nurturing our enrollment funnel. Uh, if you're in a local church, that's that may be nurturing your discipleship pathways or or working hard to intentionally and strategically develop leaders. You know, but that, that's a that's a strategic decision you've made. Secondly, it's projecting a leading brand. So we're in a division that exists to recruit and retain students, owners and friends. That means we're constantly trying to project in a thousand different ways what it means that we exist for the church. Number three, expanding our network of loyal ministry partners. Number four, investing in our students. Number five, challenging the status quo. And number six, remaining focused, flexible, and efficient as we grow and seek new opportunities. So again, the former question, how do we behave, is about values. And that's something that probably doesn't change every year. In fact, it shouldn't change every year. That's more about culture. And regardless of what you're putting your hands to, regardless of the strategy, you're endeavoring to be a people that acts this way. However, this fourth question, as I mentioned, gets more practical and it's not a goal. It's not um, necessarily an objective you're working towards. Again, it's just a way of acting. It's it's a generalized strategy. And I want to mention, um, how did we come up with these, Dave? And, and how does Lencioni talk about um, developing and really identifying. You kind of discover what these things are. Um, yeah. How, how do you identify how will we succeed? Yeah. You, it's not just going to happen in one afternoon setting. I think it starts there. What we did was basically we sat down as a leadership team and we began to list up on a board. And as Lencioni calls it, he calls it an, an amoeba chart or something like strategy that. Strategy amoeba. Yeah. Strategy amoeba. And so it, because of that's because of what it looks like once you put it up on the board. So there's no, you know, there's no uh, rhyme or reason of how, how you're categorizing things. You're just wanting to write stuff up on the board. And and what you're writing on the board are all the activities that you are involved in, things that you do. 
as an organization. Sure. Uh, you know, we 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 cut checks. We uh, you know, we advertise. So anything that you do as an organization, you throw it up on the board. That's right. And so in, in our case, we gave six different people a marker right. on a common whiteboard and just said, go after it. Whatever word comes to your mind as far as something we do. Right. And so in a local church, I mean, you could write discipleship, small groups, preaching, pastoring, hospital visits, uh, you know, one-on-one uh, evangelism, street, you know, what, whatever that looks like in your local context. And what will happen is you, you've said, you said it looks scary at the end. So an <laughs> hour later, you just about can't tell what happened to the whiteboard. There's almost no white space, but what do you do then? So you have all these random disconnected words and activities up on the board that represent the activities of that team. Then what do you try to do? So you look, you look at the board, and yes, at first glance, it there's, makes no sense. It's just a bunch of words. But as you begin to study the words on the board, you will begin to see patterns, mm. themes that, that come up, words that you put that they go together. And then that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to pull out themes and strategies that... You that, may not even know you've been pursuing. Yeah, right. And, yeah. And, but as you begin to define the small things that you do put them together, they create some sort of theme and what we call a strategy. This yeah. is this is a, a lane that we're going to run in that will help us to be effective and competitive. Sure. And so it, it it takes hard work to be able to, to do this, this process of here's everything that we do, then how can you categorize and put things together in some sort of theme that will then become kind of a, a guiding path or a strategy yeah yeah and it's it's like values and when you when you you don't just establish values this third question you know uh, for us hungry humble smart happy you really identify them you kind of go hey this is just kind of who we are here at our church or uh, our seminary or even in our family hey this is just kind of how god's wired us to be and with this fourth question how will we succeed on strategy oftentimes you really um observe that as much as you design that you, you can kind of look back and go man god seems to be blessing when we do these things based on the people that are on our team and even in this room and wrote these words um, god seems to be working in and amongst those gifts and so for us when we got to the end of it we said hey there's six things that that the lord seems to be blessing and we want to name that um but also name that so that people on our staff, now 50 or 60 people, um, can can kind of understand where we're going just operationally. Like, don't be surprised that we nurture the enrollment funnel. Don't be surprised that we're constantly talking about a projecting leading brand. Don't be surprised that we're expanding a net, you know, all, all these things. And what I've discovered is when you communicate these things clearly throughout the organization, it helps in countless ways. It helps. Um, people answer questions before they even come to you hey why are we pursuing this thing why are we investing money in this because they know oh that's that's part of how we're going to succeed as an organization but it also frees them towards um uh delegation you know if people don't know where you're going and don't know what you're doing which is this question um they they can't go there with you they're just going to kind of run in circles or oftentimes they're going to do the minimum amount possible to just kind of stay beneath the radar and hope they keep you happy. But they're, you're never going to unlock uh, 
the potential and the passion of people on your team unless you just define a lane for them. And partly what this does, uh, again, by the fourth question, these are starting to be more operational lanes. Hey, this is uh, and strategic lanes. This is where we're going. So I wonder what that would look like in your organization. Asking the question, how will we succeed? We've answered it by nurturing our enrollment funnel, expanding a network of loyal ministry partners, challenging the status quo, remaining flexible, focused and efficient as we grow and seek new opportunities. And then Dave, there's the fifth question, the fifth question. So again, we're working through six questions in Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage. And the sixth question is, or excuse me, the fifth question is getting more and more practical. And this question is, what's most important right now? So Dave, this is an annual document. So we're, we're defining what, what's most important in this year? Yeah, I think that's where we start this year. And then even within that, we begin to break even that what's most important down into, you know, a handful of objectives that may change quarterly or whatever. But yes, what is most important right now? And we have kind of an annual outlook. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, this has been incredibly helpful for us. And um, in one sense, it's been easy. So within our division, it's pretty easy to say, hey, man, the singular goal we're going to be after every year is is probably an enrollment goal. Hey, we, we want to have this many students. And um, there's there's a number of data points behind that. So for us in this particular year, we wanted to achieve a certain level of growth in new admitted students uh, in particular programs and those sorts of things. And so in this document, it's not complicated. It's a couple sentences, uh, but it's very clear what a win is and what a loss is in this particular year. Okay. What are we all, and again, from a divisional perspective, there are six teams beneath this that are all bending towards a common goal. And what we've tried to do, uh, and we, we've been stronger at this uh, in years past and kind of gotten out of habit with this, but the goal would be to integrate this common goal into the other goals throughout your division. So for example, if I'm in a local church and we said, you know, we had a staff of 10 people and maybe there's three teams, there's a, there's a children's minister, there's a discipleship minister, but the church ought to have a common goal that year. Maybe the goal is, man, we're going to see uh, this many baptisms or we're going to whatever. Well, all those various sub teams ought to be working towards that and their goals for the year ought to reflect a more common goal. And if it doesn't, you ought to ask, how are you guys going to accomplish that co common goal to begin with, right? But oftentimes what I've learned, and this goes back to Lencioni talking about how simple this stuff is, but just how it's, man, it's hard to kind of work through your whole organization. Oftentimes people will gather their leadership team together. They're, oh, we're going to go pursue this big goal. And then they don't integrate it into other parts of the organization. So they don't talk about it in annual reviews. It's not in job descriptions. It's not in ministry plans. And what happens is people, they may not consciously do this, but they very quickly just kind of write off your big goals because it really has no day-to-day -day impact in their success uh, and, and the meaning of what they do at your organization. And that's terrifying to me that you could you could go through all the work of establishing these goals and yet it's kind of put on a shelf. And for most people and more so most organizations, the job description and strategy is this big binder that's up on the shelf 
And what Patrick Lencioni is saying, no, let's define this down to one sentence in question five. What's most important? Let's put all these questions into one or two pages and make it something that's integrated in kind of all our touch points, uh, all our touch points throughout the year. And so we've tried to do that. Dave, I mean, anything you want to add to that? Uh, how you've seen that's been helpful on your team? Because you have your own playbook. You have right. a divisional playbook, and then for your team of, of eight or ten people, you have your own playbook. So how does this look for you guys? Yeah, well, as a playbook as a whole, so all of these elements that we've been talking about, and there's one other question that we'll get to, but as a whole, the playbook for us gives us it, it gives us guidance. And, um, and, and really the key word, I think, throughout is clarity. And I think that is so mm-hmm. critical is clarity. So when you kind of walk through these questions. And again, this is not kind of an afternoon thing. You really have to pour into it, but it will bring so much Mm -hmm. clarity of of where you're headed, direction, uh, things that are important. So it helps you to filter through all the things that you're working on, but helps you to focus on your priorities. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it just helps to reorient you. So I'm not a scuba diver, but I've heard that if you go deep enough to where it's dark and you have no idea where you're at, which direction is up, they say to follow the bubbles. So you blow bubbles right. and you follow the bubbles. Yep. So the playbook for me is our bubble. So we it helps us to reorient kind of where we're at at a hmm. particular moment. And it helps us to know which direction is up, which is direction, the direction that we have, have said, this is where we're headed. Yeah. Um, and, and what the priorities are. And what the priorities are. Sure. And uh, and so that's so the playbook is so helpful in how we've implemented it. And, and all these different areas has really guided uh you know, my team all the way from values to, um, to, to even our, as a division, our mission statement, it gives us clarity. It's kind of like a top level project management filter that we've used. Mm. Like everything that comes in, if it doesn't help us to recruit and retain students, donors, and friends, we know we either need to kick it out or push it down the road. And so that, that yeah. helps us in that level. And then all the way down to what's most important right now, um, and helps us to know what our priorities are. And yeah. so, of course, the most important. So there are still things that you have to do in, in your job and your ministry. Yeah. So there's day-to-day things that you have to do, but you sure. need to be able to look at what are those most important things hmm. that we want to accomplish and what will move the needle the most that we need to focus on those things. Yeah, man, man, and I've seen you do it. So we're talking about the advantage. We're working through six questions that every organization, including yours, ought to be asking. And those questions are, why do we exist? What do we do? How do we behave? How will we succeed? What's most important right now? And sixth, and finally, who must do what? Who must do what? And so I've mentioned this many times now, but but notice again how we're getting more and more practical. So we're driving and drawing a line all the way through vision. Why do we exist? And for us, it's something as lofty as we exist for the church. <laughs> this eternal reality that's going to go forth, uh, you know, for all eternity. Uh, and yet we're driving literally from that level of thought all the way down to what Dave does during one week of the year. Okay. With just six questions. And so the sixth question is who must do what? It's a question of responsibility and accountability and even authority. Who, who's the, the uh, authority to do X, Y, and Z? So Dave, who must do what? What does that look like in our divisional playbook? In our divisional playbook, so we have um, five or six directors. So in our divisional playbook, it kind of defines on the top very simple level 
what our responsibilities are as uh, in leading our particular areas. And so we kind of define that. And so for, you know, for me, director of communication and brand strategy, um, I'm responsible for external promotion, internal promotion, project management, brand management, and creative support. So it unnerves me that you had to look down to read that, Dave. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you know what? You I don't know. What I, I, do. I don't know what's mine either. Uh, no. I have to. I have to look down. Uh, so we're we're an act in progress here. Uh, I'm I'm having to do the same thing. I would have to look down. But but the point is, no, you're right on on our document here. Dave and I are both looking at it. Who must do what? We just have the name, the title, the team they're on, and the what we call general general responsibilities of six different people, which is our, our leadership team. We've since expanded this, but you're right. So so Dave just says Dave, director of communications and brand strategy. He's on the communications and brand strategy team, and he exists to do external promotion, internal promotion, project management, brand management, and creative support. Uh, another person on the team, Nathan, uh, the director of IR initiatives, initiatives, it says that he's to do FTC regionals, manage institutional advancement activities, and other strategic initiatives. So this isn't, again, it's deceptively difficult because this looks like, man, this is just a sentence. Like, how hard is this to come up with? But whether it's the sixth question or any of these others, what Dave, you and I were talking about before we started recording is, really, it's the process, not necessarily the product that's helpful in asking these questions. Right. Because long before we were able to write down these responsibilities, there was probably a hour-long conversation of, man, who who does what? I mean, generally, I know that you do this, and but that that strategic thing we're doing this year, that big project, like who does on that? And what I've found every time we've done this, and I bet Dave, this has been true of your team, that things that we would have just assumed had we not walked through this pro- uh, process um, were not delegated to somebody. And so, man, just, yeah, I, I think Sally's going to do that thing. And then six months down the road, Sally's not doing it because Sally thought Tom was doing it. And Tom thought, you know, and you just kind of have that happen. So asking this question, who must do what helps work, um, really the priorities and clarity of, of your organization down all the way to the team member level and helping them answer what does it mean for us and what does it mean, frankly, for me to be for the church? How do I participate on that team? And this is this is so natural when you think about football. You don't have players that run out to the team and go, well, I wonder how I could help here. No, they know exactly how they can help. They know exactly what the play is. And this is true of any sport. It would be ludicrous for us to think about winning a football game. Uh, maybe something Alabama Crimson Tide does, but Auburn doesn't do that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, War Eagle. But you, you, don't, you don't run out to the field without a play. And it's not just a general play. It's not a general sense of, hey, we're hoping to accomplish this. No, it's a very specific, um, the tight end is going to do this. You know, the nose guard is going to do this. Um, The quarterback is going to do this. And those things are meant to be harmonious and to work together. And until you identify what the play is and what every player is doing, you're asking for a train wreck. And, And at the very least, you're asking for just a tithe of the effectiveness and influence that that team could have if they were all running the same play. They were all rowing in the same direction. So as Davis said, I mean, you need to know uh, which way the bubbles are going. 
And uh, I've been a scuba scuba diver. We were actually talking about that earlier, and I've been in that position mm-hmm. uh, where it's so dark that you really, I mean, it's, it is really unnerving to not know which way's up. And you do, you, you have to stop, calm down, watch your bubbles, and oftentimes turn upside down and head in the opposite direction <laughs> of what you're thinking. And that's so true. I, I'll never forget that illustration. That's so helpful because it is true, man. When you when you are in an organization, whether it's small or big, and things get complicated and things are moving at lightning pace, uh, if you don't have a previously established list of priorities, hey, when the building's on fire, what do we grab? Um, I've learned that either people just withdraw And so people just kind of in fear, just stop doing anything or they run through a wall in the wrong direction. So you kind of have those two realities and man, that gets even more disastrous, the bigger the team is. And so the bigger your team is, the more complex your organization, the more significant this organizational health becomes. So Dave, man, we've gone through the six questions. I'm going to read those one last time and let you do that. So what are the uh, the six questions? The first is, first question is, why do we exist? Why do we exist? Question number one. Question number two, how do we behave? Excuse me. Question number two, what do we do? Question number two, what do we do? Question number three, how do we behave? Hmm. Question number three, how do we behave? Number four, how will we succeed? Number five, what is most important right now? And the last question, number six, is who must do what? Man, so these have been six questions that we believe every team, even every family, I think it's helpful for families to ask these questions. What would it look like for your family to have dinner one night, Uh, you to take your spouse uh, on a dinner and or have coffee and just ask, hey, why do we exist? And that is a really powerful question. Why do we exist? How do we behave? What, what are we what are we trying to model in our marriage? And if you have children, what are we trying to mar- model with our children and our neighbors? Um, who must do what? I Man, you talk about in a marriage asking that question. All right, husband, do you do the bills or do I do the bills? Do you do the trash or do I do the trash? Are you the primary uh, agent of discipline or am I the pri- you know and and Man, those will will uh, expose lots of productive conversations. What's most important right now? I mean, does your does your team or your family have a sense of what the common goal is, or are people just kind of sitting around waiting for that, or just so disengaged they don't even know you have one? And so, what we're hoping to communicate to you is, man, we've seen by God's grace. The Lord blessed Midwestern Seminary and our division over the past eight years with a lot of broken leaders like me and Dave, just by asking some really simple questions and staying faithful to answer those over and over and over. And answering them is only part of the equation, Dave. You also have to communicate these things relentlessly. Right. So I want to end by talking about that. So let's say someone has established clarity. They've, they've answered uh, these six questions. Is that enough? Like, well, what do you have to do next? It seems like you'd have to communicate that, right? And how do you do that? So after we answer these questions and we have kind of created this playbook, uh, kind of the next step, what we seek to do is to, uh, to communicate it mm-hmm. over and over and over. And because that uh, consistent communication will continue to bring clarity, which the playbook does. Mm-hmm. 
but in our uh, in our context, man, we we have our playbook as much as possible. Kind of keep it in all of our our weekly team meetings. Like mm. th- this is it is truly our our guidebook, our playbook, what, sure. what we're bouncing off of. So when we're thinking creatively about marketing ideas or creative ideas or branding ideas. I mean, if we start getting, you know, off the rails a little bit, this keeps us going in the in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It reminds us, okay, right now, here's what's most important. And uh, and so that's kind of how, how we use this. Like, it's something that's not kind of put on the shelf. Yeah, so, like, you're, so you really have that out every, almost every week in your staff meetings, you I, are looking through it? Yeah, so I keep uh, a red manila folder that I keep okay. some kind of, my action items in sure. and that stays in there all the time okay and uh, so I can we can always refer back to it and we we may not mention it in every meeting yeah. but there are times where I will pause and say okay let's remind ourselves what our as a communications office what are our strategic object objectives yeah. right now and so that we can focus on those now remember our st- strategic objectives as a communications office is yep. directly tied to the communica- to the objectives of, of the, the division. division. Yeah. And so it all kind of trickles down and because we're wanting to move the needle as a division. Sure. And the part that we play as a communication team. So we it's very important that we keep it in front of us. Like it is mm. active. It's what guides us and, and helps us to, to know what we need to be working on as project requests coming in. If it's something that doesn't help us to do that, again, we either, what I call, give it a strategic no, which means we, we creatively, it's not like, hey, no, we're just going to trash your project, sure. but hey, we, we may need to move it down the, <laughs> the road or yes, we may need to trash it. Sure. Uh, but this, the playbook gives us that filter to know what's most important, what our sure. priorities are. Sure. And when you think about organizational health and, and the people on your team, <clears throat> I mean, when they know what their pro- priorities are, when they come in the office in the morning and they know what they're working on, they know mm. exactly what's expected of them. Yeah. And it, it's easy. They, they can work through the day, be effective. They can lead, take initiative. They can take initiative. Yeah. They can leave at the end of the day and actually feel good about what they did because they knew it was very clear what they were to do. And they actually look forward to coming back the next day. For sure. And, and that, I think that's what organizational health is. Yeah, there's meaning. And he, he right. talks about in the advantage that, man, if you don't go through the process of establishing clarity, not only are you ineffective, but it can be soul killing and really, really discomfortable um, and just discouraging to right. the people um, on your team that... and. They don't know why they're in the office. They're mm-hmm. kind of just doing stuff and they feel like they're just busy and we're kind of doing um, some busy work. And yeah, I guess we did that project. But man, again, you want to unlock the passion uh, and the productivity of your people. Give them a common goal and a common vision that has significant meaning behind it, that that connects to their passion, their vision. And man, you'll flip the world upside down. It, it's amazing. And I'm seeing you do that in, in ways in the comms office where... Uh, you're able to just release your people because you've established a plan that's connected to the larger goal and uh, they don't have to come back to you and ask questions every 20 minutes because you again you you defined and communicated a lane and um, again when I, I think of these six questions you, you really do uh, only half the battle is asking and answering them it's really right this playbook does no one any good if you write it and sit it uh, on your shelf. I mean, I guess it, it helps in some ways because you had the initial conversation, but man, people are so forgetful. 
And I'm so forgetful. There's a reason you have it in your binder and I look at it all the time. Even rehearsing it with you today on the podcast, I'm being reminded of, yeah, man, we we sat down and said we were going to succeed by doing that thing. And it's a helpful reminder to me. It's I, I can't help but to, again, think about a football analogy. And you think about key teams, whether it's, you know, the Crimson Tide or the New England Patriots or something. They do have a playbook, but they also have a way of playing. When you think about this question, how will we succeed? That's men, when they're down and out in, in the fourth quarter, like there are things that they reach for that have been proven and successful. And it's helpful that there's just an awareness of those things on their team that, man, this is this is how we act. This is how we succeed. This is where we're going. These are the goals. And, and hey, tight end, this is your role in this whole picture we call the New England Patriots. And uh, man, again, we would be fools to think that every team's uh, not in that space. Every family's not in that space. Every nonprofit, every church. And so I don't know what questions you need to ask of your team. You need to ask of your marriage and your family, your church and your nonprofit. But perhaps you could start with these. So I want to encourage you to pick up the book, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, Why Organizational Health Trumps Everything in Business. And I would tell you, it's a book about business, but it's really a book about organizational life and teams. And it can be applied to any group of people uh, that are attempting to pursue a common objective and uh, work through that. And if nothing else, listen to the, this podcast and ask yourself, reflect, how would our team, how would our family, how would our nonprofit answer these questions? Why do we exist? What do we do? How do we behave? How will we succeed? What's most important right now? and who must do what. This has been Charles Smith with the Leadership Project Podcast. I'm joined with Dave Wright here at Midwestern Seminary, and it's been a joy to be with you today. We look forward to talking to you again in the near future. God bless.